Hey, background check family. Man, today's episode was just fun. I mean, you ever been talking to somebody and you just, you've only known them for a short time, but you feel like you've known them for a long time? When I did this interview, you know, I always try to make everything professional as possible, make sure all the mics are in the right position, make sure my guest is comfortable. But when we finally settled in and started talking and, and I listened to his story, I just felt like we were best friends having a normal conversation. Charlie Levitt with Metro Relief has an amazing story, and he's got an amazing family, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Come on, let's do a background check on Charlie Levitt. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead, check my background. My name is Jaden Gum, and this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down now. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Background Check Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Gum, and I'm also the founder of Forgiven Felons, helping people with the past realize their future. So this podcast is brought to you by Forgiven Felons. What do we do here at Background Check? We, we like to share stories of people who have risen above their past, their background, not let their background hold them back, but make it pay them back. You know, and there's many, many ways. Payback comes in all different shapes and forms. It could come in the form of money. You know, I, I feel like I spent over $300,000 in, in drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, everything that had to do with my old life. And, you know, and I, I want that paid back. And I believe, I believe it is getting paid back. And then I want time paid back. You know, I spent a lot of times wasting my days doing nothing and nights doing nothing. And now I, I want my time paid back. You know, so, uh, and then I just want all my energy and efforts I put into steering people the wrong way. Now I want to, I want to, I want that paid back by steering people the right way. And Forgiven Felons is one of the things we do. We have a couple of transitional houses. We also have a resource center that we're in the planning phases. Very excited about that. Uh, it feels like it's going super slow motion, but at the same time, uh, we're just gathering people together to get all the pieces and in, in, in put them in place uh, at the right time, the right way. So we're talking with lawyers, nonprofit lawyers, business lawyers, CPAs, to make sure we blend our profit and our nonprofit the right way. And so we're, we're excited. We're excited. Uh, background check. We also talk with people that help people with backgrounds. So in the next, uh, I don't know, the next, the, the rest of this year, I might have a couple of CEOs on that hire people with backgrounds, uh, maybe local to the Dallas area. We've had a few others on that are in other states. But, uh, you know, this is fun. Background check is fun because we get to share stories of people who've risen above addiction, incarceration, uh, sexual abuse as a child. So many, so many stories have come on here. You know, we got uh, State Representative Carl Sherman, and we've had some uh, advocates on here talking about the bills that are in legislative uh, session right now in Texas that they're fighting over. So, uh, but but this is fun. We've also had some pro lawyers. If you need a pro lawyer, listen to uh, David O'Neill on one of the earlier episodes. We've had couples on. Man, this has been great. We're coming up on a year, 
uh, June fourth will be our one year will be our one year uh, anniversary, and we're excited. We're excited about it. But um, if listen, if you have a loved one in prison, uh, or if you if they're already out and they just need some help in the in the local Dallas area, uh, check us out forgivenfellows.org. Okay, and um, so. Today we have a very special guest. He's become one of my great friends. I love him to death. We don't we don't get to talk as often as we would like because we're both so busy. But I met Charlie through the Freeman House and my friend my friends Troy and Barbara Freeman. And Troy uh, pretty much made Charlie his executive director right before Troy went to be with Jesus. And, and we talked and we got to know each other. And we were cut from the same cloth. We have a lot of similarities in our stories, but I don't want to delay it any longer. Charlie's got a great story, and it, it literally, like I said in the opening, it was—it's just like it was just sitting down, like having a conversation. He's just the neatest guy, humblest guy, and I had a great time interviewing him. So, in, enjoy the show. All right, Charlie, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me, Jay Dan. Man. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. I don't even remember how do you Charlie do you remember how we met? I called you. Troy had told me about you and then after he passed and I started um I reached out to you and we talked on the phone for 45 minutes to an hour getting to know each other. So that would have been about 2 years ago. Okay. We'd heard of each other. We knew I knew who you and were. And I may have shook your hand. Yeah. But we didn't really get to start getting to know each other till about 2 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, right now, I want you to tell everybody what you do now. Okay, you just started in a new position at a new new organization that is doing great things, Metro Relief. Uh, but let's start with what you do now. Then we'll work our way back to how you got there. All right. All, All right. right. Sound good? Yeah. I uh, accepted a position about six weeks ago with Metro Relief, and Metro Relief is a uh, – Bus ministry, so we utilize buses and we make soup, and then we go down to the homeless. We're a mo- mobile ministry, and so what I am, and it was a crazy title they gave me, but they they gave me the title of catalyst. Mm, I love that. When you told me that, I was like, yeah. very. Yeah. It kind of flipped me out when they <laughs> said sent me the job offer, and they said you're going to be the catalyst, and so I had to Google it, and uh, it's an interesting title, and it's. Uh, an honor that they called me that yeah, and see that in me. So my current job is to help begin expanding Metro Relief's footprint in the Metroplex. So good. Uh, So when you say Metro Relief is a bus ministry, you utilize buses in what way? How do you utilize them? We take, uh, today, there is no bus being used today. Um, But our case managers are out. In, our, in their vehicles and our vehicles, and they're going to meet the people that we may meet on a Thursday or Friday in Garland or Dallas. Okay. So on f- Fridays and Saturdays, we get volunteers, and we have a lot of them, um, that get on the bus. We make homemade soup, take some water, and we go down and park at Antioch Church in downtown Dallas in the West I'm End. familiar with that. I and, love that church. Uh, they, they are partners with us by letting us use the lot, and we just go out there and open up, and people come. And then on Saturdays, on Fridays, we go to Good Samaritan and Garland. On Saturdays, we go to Antioch. I'm sorry. Man, y'all partner with two great organizations. Yeah, Yeah, it's really uh, my first week at uh, 
Antioch, I met a guy and it was really cool to see what we did. We got him a driver's license. He's on the list. He should have housing shortly. That's cool. Yeah. All right. So now shortly before this, you were at the Freeman house. Yes. Tell us before we get back into your story, tell us how that came about. Uh, I, Troy Freeman was a dear friend of mine and I met him about seven years ago and two years ago, he got extremely ill, went into the hospital and then unexpectedly he died from a rare lung disease. And, uh, Troy and I were kindred spirits. Uh, we got along real well. And when he was passing away and he was in the hospital, he asked me to come and he asked me if I would quit my sales job and come run the ministry on a part-time basis while he was recouping, but then he ended up passing away. And I quit my job and after 12 years with a job and I just jumped right in. Yeah. So now, okay, how did you meet Troy in the Freeman House? How did you know all those? Through I, your church, right? Yeah, I go to Church 1132. Great church, by the way. They do great work with our with our home church, Trinity Church, the Fair Meadows campus. Yes. Uh, Jeremy Donovan, Pastor Jeremy, talks highly about all, all you guys. Yeah. Pastor so. Dustin Bates is a, a good dude. So we were having church in the Allen High School uh, because we were remodeling our building, and a guy that was all tatted up, um, raised his hand, got saved, and nobody went up and talked to him after the service. So I thought, I'll go up and talk to him. And it was amazing on his eyebrows. He didn't have eyebrows, but he had hood rat tattooed. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, he was literally covered in tats. And uh, my nickname forms Tattoo Kenny, and he was homeless. And so I went around trying to find Kenny a place to live. It was the first time I ever did it. And a friend of mine, Jeff Schmidt, told me about Troy Freeman, and I went down to the Freeman house. Gee whiz, it was probably 10 o'clock at night, and Troy was in his office, and he opened the door, and I had money, and I wanted to get the guy in, and Troy took the guy, uh, wouldn't take any money from me. He said, let's see if he makes it, and uh, that's how Troy and I started getting to know each other. Wow. And then as we got to know each other, I, I started doing Bible studies at the Freeman house, going and speaking to the men and stuff yeah. like that. Troy and I, uh, we had a lot of fun together. Yeah, Troy. Troy's a neat guy. He's, yeah. Uh, I want to honor him because he he was the one that I heard about when a friend of mine, Jeremy Reddig, uh, Floor Rescue. Uh, yeah. When I first got out of prison, I connected with Jeremy, and he did some work for us, and then all of a sudden disappeared, and we didn't know where he was, and he called me and told me he was at the Freeman house. He said, you need to get to know Troy because one day you want to have your own transitional house and, you know, you, you, want, to, you want to see what it's like. So, so I called Troy one day and, and I asked him to lunch and told him I'd buy him lunch if I could pick his brain. And so, and I, and I was picking it ever since then, you know, yeah. and, and a lot of the things we do, you know, we don't, we're not exactly the same. We don't do exactly the same thing, uh, but uh, we do a lot of things that were patterned off after his is helping me, and I love his heart, man. Yeah, he had Troy a had heart. a good had a good heart, man. He he got it done. All right, so you weren't always this servant, quitting your nice sales jobs to go work in the, you know, in the in the transitional homes with the marginalized and disenfranchised. Uh, so let's go back to uh, where'd you grow up? What kind of family did you, did you get raised in? I would say that I grew I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and my family was all American. Okay, uh, my sister was 
blonde, beautiful young lady. My older brother uh, was a handsome guy, and I was baby Charlie. <laughs> and so we grew you were up. The baby. We grew uh, up in a just that explains a lot. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am baby Charlie. My mom just visited, and she, you're my baby Charlie. So I'm good with it. But some things happened, and uh, my brother was, uh, how would I say it? He had a substance abuse problem when he was uh, in ninth grade. And so my parents, to save his life, it was that bad. They sold their house. He went to treatment. When he was getting out of treatment after six months, and this was one of the first treatment facilities, I was in fifth, sixth grade. Uh, he was getting out after six months, and the doctors at the treatment center said, "You need to. If he comes back into that neighborhood, he's just going to die." Mm. So my parents sold their ha- dream house, and we bought a fifty-two acre farm in Mount Vernon, Ohio. And we were green acres all the way. We were wet <laughs> behind the ears. We didn't know what we were doing. My dad went right in. My mom. We had forty chickens, twelve head of cattle, four horses. I raised pigs. And uh, but I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Now, when you raised them, that means you slaughtered them too. Yeah, and you yeah. had lots of bacon. Yes, uh, Petunia, which was the hog we ate, she lasted us about two years. Really? Yeah. So they the last freezer. that long, huh? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I liked pork as much as I back then as I do now. But <laughs> I don't, I'm not so sure that pork would make it that long now. Wow. Wow. I guess when you're right in the middle of it, you don't like it as much as... Yeah. You know. All right. So All-American Family, Columbus, Ohio, your, your brother's in, in rehab. And uh, how, did, how, did, how did what he was going through impact your life? Um, with... My brother was emotionally and physically hurt by somebody, and that's what pushed him into his drug abuse. So... And it's not my story to tell, right. but when he began to abuse drugs, it turned our house upside down. My mom was a raised Nazarene. My dad was a, um, what do they call it, uh, agnostic. And my mom got saved uh, during this period. And then my brother got saved. My sister was already going to the Methodist church and involved in the youth uh, movement. So how it affected me was the violence. Right. That came with the drugs in our house. I, yeah. I remember one night when my brother kicked one of my family members and split their sternum. But he, it's not a bad feeling now, but yeah. back then, just the fear and the violence that came along with drugs and alcohol. My dad was, I would say, an active alcoholic at the time, too. Um, so it's just did you ever chaos. Did you, did you ever have thoughts of, of maybe kind of scared that you might follow in his footsteps? I made an oath I would never be like him, okay. and uh, I ended up being a lot like him. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had judged him, and it's like it came back on me. Yeah. So, so I, high school? How, what kind of high school kid were you? Um, you in I trouble? was in trouble. You know, when I was a kid, um, I just want to throw this in there. I had I was a sick kid, so I was in an oxygen tent and uh, a mild form of encephalitis. So. Okay. I had to learn how to talk when I was five years old at the Ohio State University. So when I when I learned, I remember going to the Ohio State University and wearing headphones and looking through the glass at Miss Jackie and doing basically hooked on phonics to wow. learn how to talk. And so at the same time, my brothers start were stepping into that. My parents are dealing with me, hmm. and um, so they put me on Ritalin, 
and Darvons wow. because they said I was hyperactive. So when I grew up, if I misbehaved or anything, they'd say, hey, did you take, take your pills? So they took me off those drugs at the same time my brother was going into treatment, and I used marijuana within a day or two um, because suddenly they took away my speed and my Darvons. Right. Yeah. So we went to the farm. It was greatness. Uh, and we lived on the farm for almost two years. And my father took a job in uh, Libertyville, Illinois. And uh, we left the 52-acre farm, moved to Libertyville, and had to live in a hotel for the summer. And on the first day of school in ninth grade at a new school, I, I had gone to two elementary schools. This was going to be my first high school, and I went to two junior highs. So I threw a rock. Yeah. And it hit a, a jocks. You know, I was burnout. <laughs> and it hit his books, and what happened was a fight, and I broke the guy's nose. Hmm. So I got suspended for 10 days on my first day of my new school, and I came back. You asked me about my high school. Yeah. This was the beginning. Wow. I came back, and I sprayed the same guy with a fire extinguisher um, and got another <laughs> 10 days. And then I came back, uh, and I got suspended a third time for insubordination. So wow. my first 30 days of high school, I was only there three days. I my was, goodness. Uh, yeah. I at least waited till my sophomore year. So I went hard. <laughs> yeah, I went hard. I went really hard. I ended up playing on the basketball team. I was a long hair guy on the team in 1978. But wow. uh, high school was, I didn't go. Yeah. I, I did drugs. I partied. Uh, I remember I got caught drinking during high school, and they called me into the office, and my brother-in-law still teases me about it. And I told the principal, man, I just found the beer behind the sign. And uh, I drank beer all day, and it was in 10th <laughs> grade, you know. I used to make up weird things like oh, that, yeah. too. When my mom caught it, she found a, a, a drink. It was a wine cooler, and it was left over in my suitcase coming back from youth camp. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got caught with a bong at youth camp um, in Wisconsin so as a kid. I thought I'd gotten rid of it all. She's like, this is the strongest alcoholic drink I've ever had. I'm like, that's a wine cooler. Yeah. That's not even close to the – that's like the weakest. But, uh, but, but I told her, first thing out of my mouth was, uh, it wasn't mine. And she's like, how did it end up in your suitcase? And I said, I don't know. It must have been one of the strangers we met at the park. How did, how did a stranger at this camp get into your suitcase? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so just weird stuff. Have we, haven't we learned through our recovery that the crazy, and with the people that we get to work with and help, uh, the crazier the story, the more likely sometimes it's just they're trying to just, yeah. you know, make you think. So you, did you make it out of high school? Did you graduate? I did. Uh, when I was in 11th grade, uh, my dad got transferred again, and we moved back to Columbus, Ohio. So I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. I grew up on one side of the river is what they would say, and I went to Whetstone High School, which I never went to because we moved away. And so when I moved back, we moved in across on the other side of the river. So everybody I didn't know I had to go to my last year and a half of high school. And – it was really the grace of God on me because in Illinois you needed, I think, 21 and a half credits to graduate from high school. And in Ohio, God bless the Buckeye State, you only needed, <laughs> you only needed 17. So when I went back to uh, Ohio and went to Centennial High School, half my, my morning classes were ninth grade English, math, and history. And my afternoon classes were senior 
And but I did. They gave me a gift. You know, they told me that I wasn't going to graduate from high school because I owed them book money. And so Mr. Schlue brought me in the office. He said, Charlie, you know, you owe us $274. Like a, li- like a library fee charge? Yeah. Yeah, but I, I lost all my books, hard books for classes. And so he... Oh, these were the class The, class the classroom books. Okay. books. Right, gotcha. So I go into Mr. Schlue's office, and he lays down this invoice, basically, and says, you know, you have to pay this money or you won't get your diploma when you graduate. And so he gave me this big spiel trying to get me to pay, I think it was really $274, and... After I'd listened to him, I leaned over at him. I said, Mr. Schlube, so I'm going to graduate? He said, yeah, but you won't get the paper. I said, hold on, though. I'm going to graduate? <laughs> he said, yeah. And I looked at him and said, I'm good, man. Uh, wow. And he gave me my diploma as I was walking across the stage. Me and a few of my friends, senior year, we uh, I would say that we took some substances and we went fishing about a week before graduation. And we, uh, there was a big, horrible thing that happened in Columbus, Ohio. Some girl was kidnapped, and a good friend of mine, Jeffrey, had a white car. And so we're, we trespassed onto High State University. Anyways, long story short, is 10 days before graduation, we all got arrested by the county sheriff thinking we kidnapped this girl, and we were all peeking. And the cop took us in the cruiser and took us to the high school and had us walk in with our bait and tackle. We were truly fishing. Now, we yeah. didn't have any drugs or alcohol yeah. around us, but I remember, uh, oh, my gosh, you know. <laughs> and they made us clean the weeds, and then right after that, he hit me with the school book fees. And, wow. But I, I graduated from high school uh, by the grace of God. Wow. Now, did you, uh, did you go to college anywhere? Um, no, I wanted – no. My father took me around, uh, and my mother – uh, offered to pay me to go anywhere. I scored high on the uh, SAT, yeah, and so they were really excited. And uh, I don't know how I scored high. Um, <laughs> well, you're smart. Yeah, and, <laughs> and so they took me to Ohio University. They wanted me to go to Ohio State. I could pick any school I wanted in the state, and I told them that I wanted to work uh, for the government. I wanted to be a city worker. You know, okay, make seven bucks an hour. Yeah. And so I passed on uh, college. I did not get to go. I went to college, but I majored in Jack Daniels. Yes. yes. So, uh, so yeah, I, I didn't really go to college. I attended the classes sometimes. Yeah. And so, all right, so now you're a young adult working for the city? Yeah, I was working. Uh, my parents were politically connected, my sister. So I, I, I did the whole gambit. I started... Uh, pitching pea gravel and on guitar cracks for the county. Okay. And then from the county, I went to the state and I drove uh, trucks and I got very skilled at drinking 40 ounces driving down in the state. Vehicle, and that's what I was going to ask. Plowing snow. If your substance abuse yeah. has followed you all these yeah. years into that. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. I remember the guys that trained me how to run a snow plow. They, the first thing they taught me is how not to tip your head when yeah, you drink. Absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> And so I did that, and then I landed finally at the only power plant in the country uh, that took trash. It was a, a test model, and I worked at a trash plant that burnt trash to uh, make electricity. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I did the whole gambit through the government. Wow. Yeah. Now, how long did this last you until? How old were you when you? Um, I would say up until... 1985, I did those kind of jobs. You know, I'd bounce around. I'd work at gas stations. Uh, I was miserable. All right, so you're married now? Yeah. How long have you been married? 
Tomorrow it will be 31 years. All right, now when this airs, it'll be about a month from the day we air. So, uh, but happy anniversary! Yeah, thank you very much. A month ago, yeah, and uh, so yeah, so we're 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 gonna celebrate that. That would be uh, what is that? What's tomorrow? Uh, May 5th. May 5th. So May 5th, how many? 31 years. 31 years. I think I'm the only guy I know that ran out of gas on the way to the rehearsal dinner. <laughs> yeah. I I, uh, I don't know great. why my wife, it was, it was again, just the Lord that I married my wife. Now, how'd you meet her? And what did she see in you? On August 14th, 1988, when I was in Ohio or on the farm, I uh, became a Christian, but it, that's another story in itself. So in August 14th, 1988, I was living back in my parents' basement. I was like a troll. I didn't have a car. I was an alcoholic. I was addicted to cocaine and everything else. And my dad, um, in 1987 and 86, I moved to Texas. And I slept on my buddy Britt's couch. And I moved to Texas to get away from cocaine because I owed people money for, in Columbus. So I come to Texas thinking, oh, I'm good. I won't be able to get cocaine. I get off the plane. At, um, <laughs> I get to our apartment in Irving, and I go out front to smoke a Marlboro, and the guy that lived in the apartment building next to us comes out, and he slings cocaine. Wow. I got away from cocaine for three hours and 15 minutes. Wow. So uh, anyhow, I moved here, and I, while I was here, my father got radically saved. Okay. Um, and he was my hero. Uh, my dad. And so when I came back from Texas, it was 1988 and he kept on asking me to go to church and I wouldn't go. And then um, I really played a game with my dad and my mom. Uh, they would invite me to go to church. And right before I got saved on August 14th, 1988, I started riding a bike and leave, getting there after worship and leaving before the altar call. And uh, so it's August 14th. I'm sorry, went down a rabbit trail. No, that's On fine. August 14th, 1988, uh, I wake up and I tell my father, yeah, man, I'll go. And he, you know, he's kind of like, oh, okay, let's go. And so we go to church. Pastor Sam Farina, uh, who was my mentor for about nine years, uh, impacted my life tremendously. He gives an altar call at the end. And he says at the altar call, it was a charismatic church, he said, there's a man in the audience today. And he said, today is your day of salvation. And I'm not going to dismiss this service until you come forward. I elbowed my father in the rib cage, and I said, you called him. <laughs> you called him. And my dad's like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. So literally, you asked me how I met my wife. Um, people went forward. And all that. And finally, I went forward, and Sam, Pastor Sam had us come up as a family, and I made a commitment to Christ as an adult. Well, I did not know it. I met my wife October of the next year on a hayride for our church. But on August 14th, 1988, it was my wife's birthday, and she was in the audience at church when I got saved. Wow. Yeah, man. It's, uh, man, that's awesome. It's pretty touching. I so, love how God works. Yeah, so I met her uh, the following October, and you know I beat up the quarterback in high school, and, yeah. and uh, my wife did the quarterback's homework, so God <laughs> works in mysterious ways. <laughs> oh, man. that's uh, and, and so what, what day did y'all... Y'all got married May fifth, nineteen ninety. Nineteen ninety. So you dated for what? How many years? A couple we, years. We dated. Uh, no, we dated. Her and I were just talking about. It. I think we dated about six months, and uh, I told her I loved her, which I'd never really told a woman and met it. Yeah. Met it, and um, 
when I told her I loved her, I basically said, I'm not telling you I love you because I want to date you. You know, if you're in, you're in. Um, otherwise, and so within seven or eight months, I asked her to marry me, and we got married pretty quick. Awesome. I didn't want to play around. I didn't yeah. want to lose her. So at that point, were you were you done with all your substance abuse? Oh, gracious, no. Oh, okay. Oh, so, no, man. So you, y'all get married? How long I was you... good at hiding it and lying how many, about it. How many kids you got? I got two kids. Two my, kids? How my... quick did y'all have kids? Uh, three years. Three years. Okay. My son was born in 93. And, uh, so my substance abuse never stopped, but about in 1987, I I began to isolate and I would go, I would drink alone and do drugs alone. I had no friends. I had cut myself off. So we got married in 1990 and then I couldn't hide it. Um, my wife and I stayed pure when we dated. And she asked me afterwards, how come you never made a move on me? And I'm talking about lovemaking. And I said, baby, I didn't want to give you any more ammo. Right. Because I knew where I was. I didn't want you to say, I knew I shouldn't have done that. But we made the choice not to do that. And we got back from our honeymoon, I don't know, ten. let's just say May 15th. And uh, I could not hide my drug abuse anymore. We didn't live together before or anything, you know, uh, so it just slowly evolved, and then eventually um, my father and my mother and my wife and Judge Tommy Thompson uh, intervened on me, and I went to treatment in 1992 okay. at Mary Haven. Okay. And it was the court appointed. It was an old TB hospital, tuberculosis. And so I, I didn't get My dad said, you're not going to know a place with a spa. Yeah. You're going to where it's concrete floors. And so I went in there and... Uh, what was your attitude going in? Oh, I needed it. I didn't know how to stop. Um, so you were willing. You weren't yeah, doing it just I, to, yeah, to I loved, appease everybody. I, I loved Jesus. I hated my double life. My pastor, Pastor Sam Farina and his wife, Paulette, we went for a walk the day before I went in. And Pastor Sam uh, affirmed me. And he said, I knew there was something. And he said be ready when you get out because we're going to do some things. And so uh, I went into treatment and I was walked in with my Bible and I walked into group therapy, you know, and I'm thinking I'm better than all these fools. I'm from the suburb, <laughs> you know, and I walked in with my Bible to the first group therapy and every, there was like 10 of us in the group. I loved group therapy. And uh, they told me, take your Bible back. And I said, no, man, I'm a, I love Jesus and Christianity. I'm going to get delivered. And they said, they made me put my Bible back. And I came back and they said, so how's that been working for you so far? <laughs> Why don't you just set your Bible down for the first week? And uh, what was really cool, and I got to slap myself on the back, is for the fourth week of uh, treatment at Mary Haven in Columbus, Ohio, they elected me governor. Oh, wow. And I ran, I ran it for my last week. And uh, <laughs> I ended up doing a, a, a young man came in to group therapy two weeks after I did, and he was carrying his new King James Bible, and he was a pastor's son. And I was the one that told him, take your Bible back to your bed. And I understood. Yeah. And, and what really happened was, in treatment, I got all the head knowledge that drugs are bad. But there wasn't a spiritual awakening. You know, I love Jesus, but I hid behind the Bible. It's hard to explain. So uh, I got out of treatment. And I have to admit, uh, my wife went on a women's conference for our church, and she was going to leave me for the weekend. And on the way home on a Friday, 
I decided to stop in my old bar, McNasty's, and have just, you know, one drink. And I got home that Sunday afternoon, and I had smoked crack all weekend and robbed a gas station mm. with a buddy from high school, Randolph. Wow. And uh, it's just she came home, and um, I just had – I couldn't hide it, man. I yeah. mean, I was haggard. And was she was she uh, devastated, disappointed? Well, I just came out of treatment. Yeah. Um, How long was treatment? 30, 31 days. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't – my wife is a woman of faith. And, uh, you know, when I was in treatment, no, she didn't. She had a real faith. She was very supportive. But when I was in treatment, I wrote a letter to tell her why I was going to leave her. And I had this long-haired counselor, and we were smoking Marlboros. had one of those old glass ashtrays, you know, like her parents used to have. So I walk into Michael's office. He's my counselor. He's 10 years younger than me. And I said, read this, man. I'm leaving her. I'm good. It's her fault. And so he read it, and this guy was not a Christian. And on the corner of his desk, he had the AA big book, and on the other corner, he had the King James Bible. And he read the letter, and he popped it in this big ashtray, and he said, Charlie, he said, this is my book, AA's book. He said, but isn't this Bible your book? And I said, yeah, man. Yeah, man. And he said, didn't you make a covenant before your God? And at the same time, my wife was in Oklahoma with our best friends, Brian and Cindy Robinson, and the Lord said the same thing to her. Hmm. So when we came out of treatment, God had spoken the same thing to each of us. So right. when I relapsed, um, and that wasn't my only relapse, yeah. when I relapsed, I just remember my wife loving on me. And if, if a woman, so good. yeah, my one, uh, if a lady or a woman comes up and has problems with their husband, They'll say, How did, why didn't you leave Charlie? And my wife, uh, in hindsight, says, I believe God gave me to go through all this with him. And so we've had a pretty strong, uh, she's got some backbone. Yeah. Yeah, my wife. Do you, it, it, uh, in hindsight, do you think 30, 30 days was long enough for rehab? Um, yes and no. It depends if you're going to work a program. As a Christian young man and being raised in a charismatic church uh, and having that kind of experience with God and people laying hands on you and saying you're delivered and all that stuff, which I believe in, I don't have a problem with. But I really feel in hindsight, the Lord has showed me that I hid behind that. Right. And so I learned how to say, I'm good. Praise Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, and what the Lord really showed me and began to bring out of me is a, is a transparency yeah. Because it says in the Word that it's by the Word of our testimony. And uh, I think the Lord just allowed me to hide. But uh, I didn't really get sober till about eight years ago. Yeah, Sober, sober. Yeah, um, And I did the 12 steps for my first time. Now, I had only a handful of relapses. But when I did the 12 steps, I was really angry. There were some things going on in our family. And I went out to get in a fight and drank vodka all night. And my wife called a dude that was an atheist, Jewish, and 12-stepper. And I got <laughs> home at 5 in the morning, and I walked in. My wife just loved me. I went fell I hadn't done it in a long time, you know. And then about two hours later, knock on the door, and it's uh, my friend Scott. And he brought a pack of Marlboros and his big book. And he said, how long are you going to hide? And uh, with that, I took me about a year and a half uh 
because of course the sponsors weren't doing it the way I wanted them to do it. Right. Yeah. But yeah. I did the twelve steps, and what the twelve steps really led me to was back to the Word of God. Yeah. And um, they inter- they they mingle so well together. So I uh, a lot they, of they really do. And people that that say I don't need twelve steps, I just have one step. You know, Jesus and 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 yes, there are people that quit cold turkey, whether yeah. they were delivered from God or whether they just got discipline in their life, whatever. I'm not discounting that, right? But at the same time, and I used to be one of those that yeah. think, you know, what's what's the use of twelve steps? Um, but but I agree with you. They they work together, and even people that believe, because I was one of them, believe that God can God can deliver you any way he wants. Yeah. But I, f- I feel like the 12 steps, I didn't really work them uh, until we went to a, a, a faith-based 12-step program called Regeneration. Oh, yeah. That's... And and it was kind of like, it was a little different than Celebrate Recovery. It was more of a discipleship <clears throat> program, but there were 12 steps that were very similar to AA. And... I mean, by this time, I'd been delivered from drugs, alcohol, smoking, and pornography for, I mean, not uh, gambling forever, 11 years. And I was in that, in that class because I was taking some of our guys at our, at our transitional house. And the Lord said, the Holy Spirit said, you know, you've been free from drugs, alcohol, smoking, and gambling for a long time, but you still are addicted to pride, worry, anger, and fear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I did the 12 steps. Yeah. And and I saw through pride, worry, and anger, fear, working the 12 steps with those that I was addicted to. Yeah. People don't think we can become addicted to these things, but I was addicted to those things. And as I began to work the 12 steps with those, I began to see, man, if I'd have, if I'd have been willing to work the 12 steps a long time ago with these other four, yeah. I might not have had this long of a journey. You know, yeah. or that long I, of, a, I, of a journey. I so. concur. Yeah. So, uh, you know, anyway. page 86 in the big book talks about when we wake during the day and when we go to bed at night and our thoughts. And for years, you know, people would say, cast down, cast down every imagination. And that is the truth of God. I understand it. But when I read page 86, and it, it just made me go, oh, and I've read page 86 and I went to my Bible and I've found all the scriptures on the battle for the mind and everything. And I don't know what it did, but it, it all led me back to the God of my youth. Yeah. You know, when I got saved when I was 13, I came home and I went to a revival with my parent. My mom set me up with Pastor John Willett of Grace Brethren Church. So he drives me to this little revival and I get saved. He gives me the, I do the sinner's prayer and he tells me, Charlie, just wait for the changes. I'm like, wow, I'm selling doobies in seventh grade. <laughs> I'm living on a farm. I'm lost. I'm isolated. And so I went home that night, and I I was a, the doobie guy, and I flushed my half ounce of Colombian red bud. Wow. You know what I mean? Remember the <laughs> Colombian gold? That was hard. <laughs> and I flushed it because I had, I had given my life to Jesus. But nobody told me what to do after that. Right. So that night, I flushed my weed, um, went to school, stayed clean, but nothing changed. And so I did that for about seven days to 10 days. And I was Russian roulette. Nobody told me what to read in the Bible. So I've read Revelations. I read Genesis. I think <laughs> I even touched on Lamentations. And I was like, man, there's, if there's nothing going to change, I went back to selling doobies. Yeah. 
And so my thing is, when I began to get changed with God, and I shared this part of my life with Pastor Sam Farina, he was the one then, what are you going to do about it? And then that's when I, uh, another pastor of mine told me about the great electric power company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. You want to walk in power? You want to know what it's about? Read the great electric power company. And that's what I began to share with men back in 1989 and stuff. I just started wow. doing whatever my hands. Wow. So, all right. So substance abuse didn't ruin your life, didn't ruin your marriage. It hasn't ruined your ministry. What's been the hardest? What was the hardest thing in your recovery? Like the most challenging thing for you to either grab onto, let go of, comprehend, wrap your head around? What was the hardest thing or the biggest challenge, obstacle, or just, you know, thing that you, you couldn't Let grasp? The old, letting the old, killing the old man. And with that, it still happened. So um, I think honesty was the hardest thing. And what got in the way of me being honest was my pride. And I didn't want to be like others who I had made a judgment against and said, you know, I'm never going to be like that. I became that. So it was my pride. You know, the Bible says that uh, Jesus tells them that, you know, what's the most important thing to do? And he says, uh, love others as you love yourself. And I'll talk, I, I love me. Wherever I go, I'm with me. That's a problem because I'm supposed to let the Lord come into my life. So my biggest challenge was allowing God to have all of me. Yeah. And it still, it still is. Yeah. You know, I like to tell men that I get to talk to, I tell them, you know, have you ever seen that movie where, you know, they're in a boat and they're in a lake and they're trying to drown the bad guy and they're just holding them down, they're kicking them, they're keeping them underwater and you think they're dead and suddenly, you know, in the movie they pop out and they get a breath of air? That's my old man. You know, I have to continually kill him because yeah. all the devil has on me is my past. Right. And so the biggest thing is participating and letting the old man die and the new man come out. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Can we talk about Sam? Oh, that's his story to tell, but he's doing well. Well, I mean, I don't want to get into his story, but yeah. um, but you're working with him now. Yeah, it's a great thing. And, um, uh, never thought I'd be working with my son. He's doing well. I taught him the same way the guys at the state of Ohio taught me not to tip my head back when I drank and drove. <laughs> I showed my son that. So that's one of the biggest things that the devil throws at me yeah. is how my hypocrisy. Right. You know, kids don't do what they see. They do what they see, not what they're doing. So Sam right now, he works with me. He's a case manager at Metro Relief. It's amazing. Um, he's fought a good fight and it still is. Uh, he's got a call on his life, yeah. and uh, it's exciting to watch him grow yeah. in the things of God. So yeah. he's doing well. He's doing well. And my daughter, um, Haley's 25, and she's doing well too. Awesome. It's all to the glory of God. Yeah. And, and, and what's your wife do now? My wife works for the city of Plano at the Senior Citizen Center, and so she ministers to people that are retired. That's I mean, awesome. It's kind of cool. That is awesome. It's kind of cool. So uh, Metro Relief, do you, do you feel like the people you run into and maybe even at the Freeman House 
and the people you run into on the streets, do you feel like what your life has been, what your journey has been, things that you have failed at, things that you have succeeded at, things that you've grown in, um, do you feel like you're able to better help the people you, you come in contact with because of what you've been through? Oh, yeah. I think that everything I've been through, every day I wake up, everything I went through yesterday and everything before was about today and using all that to glorify God. And so in that sense, if you could go back and change anything outside of, like me, just not really wanting to hurt the people that I hurt, you know, would, would you change anything? Knowing that what you went through, it, you're able to help people at a, at a much deeper level, at a relational level. I don't think I would. Um, I have a lot of regrets. Yeah. And like I said, that's really all I have that weighs me down is regrets. And um, when I say that, I got to remember that it's in the sea of forgetfulness. So yeah. if I would change anything, I would have honored my mother and father more. Hmm. You know? That's good. Yeah. Now, this will be uh, airing a, a little bit before Father's Day. So, uh, Talk about your dad some more, the impact that he's had on your life. Oh, my dad, uh, Thomas Benson Levitt Jr., he, uh, he was a funny man. Um, he was agnostic, and um, he taught me how to have humor. You know, uh, he taught me to compete. He, I'll be honest with you, you know, he didn't get saved till 19, yeah, yeah. 1987, so he 88. So he's the one who said, take him out behind the bush and take <laughs> care of business. And if you lose, you'll be all right. Um, he taught me a lot of things that helped me survive yeah. uh, the humor. What's interesting, though, is my dad died 20 years ago almost. And uh, when we moved to Texas, my name used to be Charles Haley Eckert. And my dad was Thomas Benson Eckert, but my my father was born Thomas Benson Levitt Jr. So when I moved to Texas, I felt like, and we took the only granddaughter. My whole family was mad at me, but I felt like the Lord was telling me to take back what the what the enemy yeah, stole. Yeah. So I wanted to take back my dad's birth name, okay, because Eckert was an alcoholic and abused my dad horribly, horribly, and. Uh, Two and a half years before he died, I wish I could say I did this, but I asked my wife to, and she did all the paperwork. But we took back and changed everything back to our birth certificate wow. and took Eckerd out. And then I told my family, and at first I think they were a little miffed, um, but really I, I really wanted to. I want, and my son Sam on the mantelpiece, uh, there was a picture of Paul Eckert, a picture of uh, Thomas Benson Levitt, and they were both my grandpas. And Sammy was like, five or six years old and said, why is Paul Paul have two dads? And that's when I flipped down Paul Eckert's picture. And I said, you know, he's got one dad, the stepfather who changed my dad's name back in the fifties, when you didn't have to get permission, it was easier. was an alcoholic, never really did anything with his life and was horribly abusive to my father. Thomas Benson Levitt Jr. Was on the board of a corporation. He had an airplane. He was self-made. He was in the insurance business, and I, the Lord really spoke to me, uh, take back. Wow. What legacy do so you good. want for your family? So I changed it um, with my wife's help. And so, so my wife said one thing is if, if Sam goes to kindergarten and Eckert, I won't change the name. So if you want to do it, let's do it now. And I went to court with my kids dressed up, and uh, 
the judge called my name and he said, is that your family in Collin County? And uh, I go down there and he, he says, I want you to bring your family down. He said, this is the first time I've had anybody to go back to their past. Usually they're trying wow. to change their name to get away from their past. Wow. And he asked me to come down before the bench and tell the courtroom, it was pretty crowded, uh, my story. And the judge was moved. But wow. uh, And then he made it a big deal to call me uh, Charles Haley Levitt and then hit the gavel and said, I now pronounce you wow. a Levitt. And wow. it, was, it was really neat. So um, great. Yeah. I mean, because that falls in line with everything that God is about giving us a new name and, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, and sanctifying everything. And so, uh, man, okay. I just have two, two questions for you here at the end. The first one is a fun question. If there were to be a movie, Hollywood movie made about your life, who would you want to play you? Oh, dude, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. <laughs> I love it. That is great. That's great. All right, so Metro Relief, how can people get involved? Are, are they doing volunteers right now or yes. sign, new sign-ups? How can people get involved and come, come help Metro Relief out? You can go to our website and you can sign up on Fridays and Saturdays is when we do the outreaches. We feel, so you can sign up online. It takes from, uh, let's say, 8.30 to about 12.30, but we, you get on the bus and it's a whole experience. And um, as we go down, we worship, and then we pray. Um, we can make sure we know each other's names. That's and all on the bus. You're yeah, doing all that on, on the, the bus. bus. Okay. And so on Fridays and Saturdays is where we utilize uh, volunteers. Gotcha. And they can go to metrorelief.org slash volunteer and sign up and get on our list. Gotcha. Um, Anything they need to know about COVID precautions uh, or anything? Or is no, it all, all that mean, on the site? Any of it's yeah, on the it's site? All, it's okay. on the site. So those are the days to help us. Obviously, okay. we need prayer. We really... You know, in what we do, we we go to the homeless and we 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 like to get people vital documents. Yeah. Okay. So you know, you get a guy that comes yep. out of prison into your place and they don't have a driver's license, right. birth certificate, nothing. Uh, Metro Relief's thing is is let's get that and then get them into housing. Okay. So uh, and feed them. We need prayer and. Um, Let me ask you this. We've re- yeah. If there's if there's a somebody runs into a homeless person. And they want help. Can they, can they direct that homeless person to Metro? Metro Relief? Relief, yeah. Now, how does that homeless person get in contact with y'all, or do they just need to wait till they see you on Friday or Saturday? Uh, we'll, and, and hope if you, that person has a phone, we'll try to reach out to them. Okay, but if it really depends, you know, what they need. Yeah. Um, if they need a place to stay, you may have to help get to a shelter. Yeah. But, if, if, but if, they, if they're truly looking to get off the streets, we would get their meet documents, with, we all would that. meet with them, okay. and, and it takes anywhere uh, for, from four to six weeks to get all the documents, and then it can take up to 90 days to get. Hey, y'all don't do food housing. or anything like that, or do y'all? We, do, we make a custom soup. When, when you when you take it out, but not just in general, like people can't just come to a place and no. get a meal. Y'all, y'all take everything uh, to them on Friday and Saturdays. Yeah. All right. So it's. Uh, we want to expand the footprint and you know, I'm really, uh, feel blessed to be a part of Metro relief. Their yeah. heart is really, uh, in there and we get together every morning and pray. And I mean, we've got six people out today going to meet with police departments. We want to get them off the street. Yeah. We don't want to make them. What's the answer? Not everybody. What's the answer? I mean, you know, we got ton of, ton of shelters. 
What, 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 in your opinion, what do you think the answer is to getting the homeless off the streets? What is the answer to getting them off the streets? Man, that's a it's kind of a complicated answer. That's to that, a complicated because huh? they got to want to first. Yeah, there's so many ministries that help the homeless, and my desire, and, and I was like this in transitional living, is I wish everybody would work together better because we're better, stronger. Yeah, you know, because you've got different places that do different things, and if we could get a more of a link, I know that a couple of times people have tried to get people to talk, and. You know, you can't stand up if you don't have a pinky, right. pinky toe. Right. And all of us, uh, the territorial thing on people, I think if we work together um, to get them off the streets, housing's important. You know, there's not enough housing. There's not enough transitional living. Uh, I'll be honest, if, uh, if somebody wants a meal in Dallas, you can get three, four, five meals a day if you really want to eat. So... So we're doing that part right. Yeah, uh, we're feeding them and giving them stuff, and but you know, we're, we're I, giving them clothes. We're giving them all kinds of stuff. In in at some so, point, that's got it's got to be more than that. Yeah, since you know? last September, uh, we've gotten forty seven people into housing. That's good. Okay, and that's we're talking a lease. All right, and yeah. they're felons and they're homeless people with nothing. And currently, we're working on we have sixty cases that we're in the process of doing. And then I can't tell you how many driver's licenses and birth certificates. Yeah. So it's it's all kinds of stuff. So the people that you set up with leases, obviously you set them up with jobs as well? We help them find a job. Help them find jobs, yeah. okay. Just like when you, we were talking earlier yeah. with Paul, there's places we know. Um, and then you got to remember that some people aren't ready. No. To get off the street. We've tried before. I mean, you know, you have guys come into your house. They seem sincere. They want to get sober. You know, what's the first test? Their first paycheck. Yep. What's his next test? They get a car. Yep. You know, and, and but when I look at my life, I went through those tests. Yeah. And so I don't think there's like one easy answer except, uh, Man, love on them. Just keep doing You know, like the Good Samaritan. What yeah. I like is the Good Samaritan story. What did they do? They got him housed. They fed him. They paid his bill. So uh, we went to Camp Ronda last week down in Dallas, and we met a guy, and, man, he's a big dude. His picture's on my Facebook. Robert, he didn't want off the streets. And so I sat down and talked to him, and this was really cool. And he'd said, I just need my birth certificate and an updated social security card. So I started thinking I could do the paperwork and I'm too new. But what was awesome was I was able to go over and get my son and he came over and sat down with Robert and right there on the, on our tough book, you know, our PC, he got it all ordered. Wow. You know, and then we have it come to us. And then what we do is he's been at Camp Ronda for a while is when all that comes in, we'll go down there and find Robert and give him his IDs. And then hopefully his heart changes. Yeah. That he wants to get yeah. into housing. And we just lost a guy named Tommy in Fort Worth who died. And Tommy had been working with Metro Relief for years. And he died on the streets face down uh, about eight days ago. And mm. we're, we're going to have the funeral for him out in Fort Worth. And so I said, four years, why is he still on the streets? And Logan, Tate, said, man, we've tried. 
but we just kept on loving on him, you know, that he had opportunities to get places and follow through. And and some of these people, they feel so, you know, but Yeah. And you just try to love on them. Yeah. Uh, I think on Saturdays when I pray for everybody that goes out on the bus, I always pray and tell the people, man, look them in the eyes. Listen to them. Don't look over their shoulder while right. they're telling you right. some story. Act like you care. Be in the moment. Be present. Yeah, be present with them, man. Let them know. Don't be scared. You know? Um, I took my mother out last Saturday. That's uh, awesome. Two Saturdays ago, and oh, my gosh, she was a pistol. <laughs> but uh, last week we had 25 volunteers wow. show up at Metro Relief that want to go out. And I think that's part of the education. Yeah. I think some people don't know about homelessness or they just flip a dollar out to the person on the corner. There's so many good homeless ministries. Um, I mean, you know, you've got Austin Street. You've got uh, Our Calling. You've got Metro Relief. And everybody focuses down in the Dallas area. So when there was Tent City and I used to go down there and do that, everybody would come down and just give things away. And that wasn't working. Right. And um, I wish we could all understand that, hey, you've got this niche, you've got this niche, and just start working with each other. Why is it so hard for us to work together? Um, I mean, I, I know. I, we all know why. Yeah, it, it, I, I, ego, hmm. uh, thinking this is my calling. But no one person can solve uh, felons issues, housing, homelessness, so you guys are We're in better Fort together. Worth too. Um, I've Metro Relief brought me on to open up Fort Worth. Okay. So we were there before COVID hit, and then Fort Worth shut all that stuff down. Gotcha. So hopefully in the next three to six months, uh, I'll take a team and we'll start going to Fort Worth. Uh, we've met with several northern suburb cities uh, who are realizing they have a home homeless issue. And so we're trying to work with them. The one thing that's good when you work with the police and doing what we do or work with the cities is they pre-qualify somebody. They'll put them in a hotel and say, man, this guy's ready. Can you come to the hotel? And we can go there, and in an hour we can get everything ordered. That's awesome. You know, And then when we get a house, uh, Paul and Sam today, I believe, are looking for an apartment for a guy named Corey. He got pulled off the list. Wow. So it's just uh, then we get them furniture. It's it's really cool. I met a yeah. guy at Good Samaritan a couple of weeks ago, Michael, and we got him into a house, into housing uh, seven months ago. He just bought a car. He still has the same job, and he just came to say hi. Wow. And we met him on the street, and that is what, what it's all we want to – Yeah. We it just really makes you think, you know. In the Bible, it says he'll leave the ninety nine for the one. So I'm quantity is good, but quality is good too. You know, when you help someone. Well, you guys are doing amazing work, and individually, you're a hero of mine. Ah, well, you're because, a hero of mine, Jay Dan. You're a good because dude. of who you are. But uh, it was good to hear the story, uh, full scale story of your life, and hear about your family and and what an awesome woman your wife is. For, yeah. For putting up with you all these years yeah. and just loving, yeah. just love one, yeah. love wins, yeah, love does win. And uh, and man, I want to thank you for being my friend and for doing what you do, impacting so many lives. Uh, real quick, last question: How can we pray for you, your family, and Metro Relief? 
Uh, for me and my family, that restoration will continue and that we all will surrender to God as individuals. I know that God's doing a work in everybody, just that God would really get the glory in my family. And then for Metro Relief, that we would stay faithful, you know, and keep our eyes on what God wants us to do and invite more people to help us. Awesome. Does that make sense? Uh, it sure does. All right. Well, thank you for coming on Background Check Podcast. Thank you for letting us check your background. Uh, yeah. And, oh. uh, <laughs> well, let me tell you, Jay Dan, it was an honor you asked me. It, uh, I got a lot of respect for you and what you do. Your transitional home is wonderful, and uh, I got mad respect for you, too. Well, Just thank so you. you know. Well, when we open up the Resource Center, we'll be, we'll be connecting and working along with Metro Relief. To, yeah. Training, to, to right? Partner, yeah, everything. When yeah. do you think your resource center? Will Man, work? we're looking. Uh, we're looking for sure less than two years. Oh, that's good. So that's that's my goal. Yeah, I, but I like to dream big. Everybody knows yeah. me like those. I like to dream big. So we may get the welding class uh, part of it started sooner because we already have grants for the purchase of the welding equipment, and it looks like we might get you know uh, a lead on some donated space for us to do uh. the welding class in. So, so we're still working on that. So that, that aspect of it might get started a lot sooner than the actual. But we're meeting with business lawyers, business advisors to help us blend the, the nonprofit side, which is Forgiven Felons, with the new for-profit side, which is going to be called Background Industries. Oh, that, I like the gonna, name. That's going to be the schooling, the, uh, the education, the uh, entre- social entrepreneurship. You know, like for the, if we have a wedding class, we'll have a wedding business as well. And, and that'll just all funnel into each other. Oh. So, um, so we'll have two or three social enterprises that will be uh, fed from the background university educational classes. So, oh, that's so it's fun, man. It's, it's fun. The planning's fun. I love to dream big. It's yeah. always fun to dream big because it yeah. scares everybody else around you. Yeah, They're does. like, what? They're like looking at you like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I had somebody recently tell me in a meeting uh, – you're intimidating. I said, why? <laughs> they said, man, you just think so big. And I'm like, well, God can do it. You know, we God is good. His God. hand His hand is on you, Jay Dan, and forgiven felons. It's evident. Well, thank you. And uh, likewise, and, and uh, again, man, appreciate all you do. And right on. maybe we'll have you back on again sometime, and we'll talk about um, criminal justice reform or something. Oh, I love that subject. <laughs> I'm pretty well versed in that, too. I, I've... I would love to do that. Any subject you want. All right, man. All right. Appreciate you. You bet. Okay. What a great interview. Charlie's got such a great story. And it it truly was an honor to interview him. He is a hero of mine. Um, I I love what he does. I love his heart. He's got a huge heart. And he's not, uh, man, he's just not. I know we can all struggle with pride at times, but sometimes I'm just talking to him and I feel like he doesn't struggle with pride, but he'd probably tell you he does. But he's just the neatest guy. And I've never met anybody that that truly has a heart to see everybody around them come to know Jesus the way Charlie does. And it's just, it's it, it was an honor to be able to sit there and, uh, and just talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. I know uh, one of the things, you know, uh, that caught me, that it impressed on me was when he walked into that rehab with his Bible, and he sat down and he said he's, you know, he's gonna, he's got his King James Version Bible, and 
and uh, he's going to do recovery this way. And they told him to leave his Bible. And I know that to, to us Christians, to us, you know, stiff-necked, two-by-four, stuffed shirt Christians, I know that sounds backwards. You know, but the fact that they called him out for hiding behind it. And, man, there's a lot of Christians. You know, society started wearing masks for the pandemic. But I know a lot of Christians have been wearing masks all their lives. And some of them don't recover from their addictions because they're hiding. They're hiding behind the Word of God instead of applying the Word of God to their lives. And I know that it's obvious that Charlie has learned to apply, yes, 12 steps, and yes, the Bible, to his life. And along with the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus. And that's why... Man, when, it, when you're talking to Charlie, it feels like you're talking to Jesus. And I just, I, I knew that his story would encourage somebody today. You know, Charlie talked about all his relapses. You know, he didn't quit cold turkey and everything was good. He even, you know, had some after he got married. He even had one not too long after he got home with the rehab. I mean, you ever felt like that? But he never gave up. And his wife never gave up on him. This is a message for you wives out there. Now, now, it doesn't mean you single girls need to go looking for somebody who's already addicted, but if for for some reason you're in a relationship and you're in a marriage and your significant other has a has an addiction, I know, man, our 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 tendency is to just want to say, I'm done. If you can't, if you can't take control of yourself. But, man, his wife just loved him with the love of God. You know, and I, part of Charlie's grave clothes was his addiction. You know, and, and, and everybody in Jesus' time loved the idea of Lazarus being raised from the dead. They loved, they loved it. But as soon as Jesus started talking about it, like it's going to happen— moved the stone, opened the grave, all of a sudden everybody freaked out. And they're like, oh, but the smell, but the smell, the, the smell of alcohol, the smell of drugs, the smell of, the smell of cigarettes, the smell of tattoos, the smell of uh, sexual addiction, the smell. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, God. You're going to bring this person back to life, but what about the smell? He's been dead for a long time. And Jesus rose. He, he told Lazarus to get up. And Lazarus got up. But then he looked at the crowd and said, Now y'all take the grave clothes off of him. And man, you know, sometimes I wonder if the people around you in your life, whether it's family, biological, friends, whatever, are afraid to help you take your grave clothes off. But what, what Charlie's wife did was lovingly helped him take his grave clothes off as, as he's on this journey of addiction, resurrection, being resurrected from that, that addiction that kept him dead in his, in his sin for a long time. And so, man, I just love, I, I've never, never met her in person yet, but I love her to death because of what she has, how she stood by Charlie. 
But listen, no matter who you are, whether you're listening to this in prison or jail or whether you're out here, whether you're a family member who, who has an addiction or is a family member of somebody who has an addiction, just know that, man, whether whether they quit cold turkey, whether you quit cold turkey, whether your loved one has a series of relapses and it takes a little longer to take the grave clothes off, don't give up. Don't give up. Whether it's addiction, whether it's even if it's just a stronghold like depression, anxiety, those aren't necessarily addictions, but they are strongholds. And addictions can can become strongholds. But man, stay with stay with your 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 tribe. When your tribe's going through something, stay with them. Don't give up on them. Help them take the grave clothes off. Be excited that they're coming out of the grave. Yeah, it's stinky. Yeah, it's smelly. There's some uh, decomposing going on, and that's never fun to get your hands dirty and be around that smell. But it's worth it. It's worth it to see somebody's live life resurrected. So thank you, Charlie, once again. Thank you for being um, transparent and open and vulnerable and putting yourself out there. Thank you for all you do at Metro Relief. You know, let's uh, let's say a prayer for Charlie and his family. Father, we thank you for Charlie Levitt and the Levitt family. We thank you that that they changed their name. They reclaimed their name, Lord. And the whole idea of you making us a new creation, and, and in the end, you're going to give us a new name that's going to be written on a white stone. And when that judge said Charlie's new new name, he claimed his name back. He, he prophesied over Charlie and his family. And Father, I thank you for Charlie's family and uh, his, his children. Thank you for um, the work he did at the Freeman House. Thank you for the work he's doing at Metro Relief. We just lift Metro Relief up to you. Uh, all the all the things that, that Charlie said to, to pray about for Metro, we, we lift them up to you right now. And we ask you to open doors, send volunteers, and give divine appointments. And, and give back Charlie and his wife everything that the devil and, and Charlie's old life tried to take from him. Give it back 100-fold. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thanks for listening to this edition of Background Check, and we will, we will see you next week. Next week, um, the next two weeks are going to be uh, Abe Cruz, part one and part two. It's a great – it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with the past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.